0: Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. We're in a series called No Other Names. Somebody say, No Other Name." Uh, has this been helpful? Have you enjoyed this series? I, I love the, the, the teachings. I love what God is, is showing all of us. It's stretching me, it's helping me understand parts of our Lord that uh, I hadn't seen before. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 12. We started out about a month ago talking about Jesus the servant. We said Jesus came into this world not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. We talked about Jesus the teacher. Remember, we said Jesus, he would teach in rows, but he would explain in circles that God wants us to get the kingdom. Uh, we talked about Jesus, our healer. Remember, 38 years, that man was on a mat, and he was struggling to find a healing. But one moment where Jesus changed everything. Can I have a good amen? And if you were here last week, we talked about Jesus, our priest, and we received a communion together at the Lord's table. Today, I want to talk to you about Jesus, our King, Jesus, our King. This is Palm Sunday. How many of you were aware of that? Palm Sunday. Yes, this is a significant day, you know, in Christian history. And I wanted to speak out of the passage from which we get this term Palm Sunday in John chapter 12. So read with me, we're going to take a few verses out of this chapter, maybe 7 or 8 verses, and I want to show us uh the kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. How many of you know you can't have a kingdom without a king? And wherever the rule and the reign of the king is, that's his kingdom. And so read with me in John 12 verse 12. Scripture says it this way. The next day, The news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. News about Jesus was spreading. I love this. You can't keep the kingdom a secret. When heaven begins to move, things happen, and there's a buzz, and all of Jerusalem is in an uproar because on the eve of this this high festival, Passover, news began to spread that Jesus was coming to the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches. This is where we get the phrase, Palm Sunday. Uh, They took palm branches, and they went down the road to meet him, and they shouted, praise God. Somebody shout, praise God. praise God. I love that. I love that exclamation point in your Bible. It's, uh, heaven's not filled with question marks. It's filled with exclamation points. And the scripture says they began to shout as they waved palm branches. They didn't whisper. They didn't mumble. There wasn't anything secretive about this moment. This was what's called the triumphal entry as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem on the eve of that Passover. The crowd lined with people begin to shout, praise God. Some translations say, Hosanna. Hosanna, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. This is where we get Jesus, our king. Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and he rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, Actually, this this prophecy was uttered in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. They didn't realize it at the time, but after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened, and they realized these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. How many of you know that Jesus still brings dead things back to life? Jesus can speak to dreams that have died. Maybe you feel a relationship that has no life left in it. The presence of Jesus changes everything. Jesus spoke to Lazarus, who was dead, and said, Lazarus, come forth. And the crowd remembered that. Many of them, they they remembered Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and they were telling others about it. Verse 18, that was the reason why so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about these miraculous signs. Verse 19, and finally... And, and this is one of my favorite parts of this whole narrative. Verse 19, then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? I love that. Even dried up dead religion. They finally recognized, you know what? There's just nothing we can do. You know, the kingdom of darkness is rendered powerless in the presence of the King. Uh, I love this. Jesus, our King. Now, you know, this event, this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry, let me give you some context. And then we're going to talk about some characteristics of this kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. Uh, this is one of the few events that's recorded in all four gospels. And uh, it's interesting. Matthew, Mark, Mark, Luke and John. Together, they give us a composite. Of the life and experience of Christ. It's almost, fellas, here's the idea that I had. I don't know if you watch football, but you know, sometimes when you're watching a professional football game and there's a questionable play, and the referees they can't figure out what call to make. They'll go to the instant replay booth. And you see the same play from different angles. You can slow it down, you can zoom in, you can freeze frame, but all these different angles on a single play, that's much like like the gospels. Matthew's perspective is a little different from Mark's and Luke's uh, uh, account of this transaction is even different than John's. It's almost like if you have four people that go to the same movie and when the movie's over with, you ask them about the movie and you get four different things because something stood out differently to that individual and it's the same account. That's that, that helps us. When I read the gospels, I see this composite this holistic picture of who Jesus is, and there's much to be learned out of it. Now, this particular experience, this uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it reminds me of a gumbo. How many like gumbo? How many like your gumbo that's loaded down with stuff? Don't give me a bunch of broth on top of rice. If it's chicken and sausage gumbo, come on, talk to me. Better load that. Don't make me scoop around at the bottom to fish out some shrimp, you know. I want it loaded with stuff. And this event is loaded with excitement, with anticipation. Um, There's great joy. There's a little confusion. There's some contention. And we're going to see all of these things come into play. Uh, the, The people are excited when Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. The people have a certain expectation of Jesus. But how many of you know that Jesus doesn't always move according to our expectations? Okay, and, and I thought this, even yesterday, I saw this in, in a new light. Because the people were hailing Jesus as their king. And they said, Hosanna, which is literally translated, save us now. Save us right now. And you know what they expected Jesus to do? They expected Jesus to ride into the city and either go to Herod's court or to Pilate's palace. And they wanted Jesus to overthrow the Roman government to do away with what Herod had established because we didn't like their politics anyway. Jesus, we like your politics. We want to set you in place of government that we will appreciate. Now, let me stop right here and just say this. I think as a church, when we put too much emphasis on the political scene, Because politics is divided, then the church becomes divided. Are you with me? Sometimes, you know, because they they wanted Jesus to go and to set them free from the political structure and set up his new form of government. And I know, and I'm not here to preach politics. I know some people get nervous whenever you even bring that up in the context of church. But I'm convinced that our faith follows us everywhere we go. It follows us into the classroom. It follows us into our family. It follows us into our job. You know, how many knows that even government needs God? But I think we have to be careful when we try to place expectations of our limitless God and force him into a political context. That's exactly what the people 2,000 years ago on that great uh, Palm Sunday, they were expecting Jesus to liberate them politically. And and here's the, I guess, the simple analogy that that I thought of even yesterday. You know, if, if, if you were to look at the water in this glass, Let's just say that the water represents the kingdom, and the glass represents the political structure. If you watch the news like I do, sometimes you get very discouraged with the political climate. It's so divisive. It's so polarizing. It's filled with such hate. People get on social media and say all kinds of things in the name of politics. And 2,000 years ago, it was no different. They expected Jesus to come in and liberate them politically. But what they were trying to do, if the kingdom of God is water, they were trying to fit that water, the kingdom, into a political structure called this glass. But I want you to know, the kingdom of God is not a little puddle of water. The kingdom of God is like Niagara Falls. How many of you know Niagara is not fitting into this cup? Why? Because the volume, the velocity, the flow, and the power is greater than what this little cup can hold. Can I tell you? The kingdom of God, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So don't try to fit me in some political container. Can I have a better amen? You see, listen, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Come on, somebody. And sometimes we'll place expectations on Jesus, and he doesn't always meet the expectations that we require. They were hailing him as as king, but he wasn't the kind of king they expected. You know, I I, I thought about this years ago when my kids were small. I remember Alexa, she was on the living room floor, and she had her coloring books and her crayons. and, And so I walked into the living room, I said, Baby, what you doing? She said, Daddy, I'm coloring. She said, would, would you help me color? I'm like, I would love to. She threw open a coloring book, set aside some crayons for me. She said, Daddy, do you know how to color? I'm like, baby. In kindergarten, I dominated. I mean, I'm the king of coloring. What you need me to color? I get down in the floor. She opens up to a page. And then I, I get started. She said, wait a second, Daddy. Do you know how to stay in between the lines? I was like. Oh, I'm, I, might, I might go outside the lines a time or two. She said, Dad, how about you don't help me color? <laughs> Why? Because it was important to her that I stayed within the boundaries. Let me ask you this. What do you do when Jesus colors outside the lines? What do you do when there are certain boundaries, certain expectations that you have of Jesus and he won't stay within the lines? How many of you know the kingdom of God will color outside your lines? Uh, Sometimes we want to say, "Okay, we will hail you as king, but you've got to save us now and you've got to save us this way. You've got to undo the Roman government, get rid of Herod, and we want you to act this way. Can I tell you, Jesus will not act according to our expectations. What do you do when Jesus colors outside the lines? What do you do when you hold an expectation for your marriage and sometimes it doesn't turn out the way you want it to? What what do you do? How do you handle the disappointment of of maybe kids that that, that go wayward or maybe a job promotion that you've been, been believing for and somebody else gets promoted and you felt like, wait a second, God, that promotion was supposed to be for me. Or you've struggled with sickness in your body, and you've done everything you know to do to stand on the promises of uh, of God, yet you still haven't found your healing. Jesus will crown you as king, but there's a certain amount of expectation. Come on now. Maybe you've longed to be a parent. You've struggled with infertility. And you see other parents that you wonder, are you even competent to be mom or dad? And you've got so many kids. How How do you negotiate? The coloring outside of the lines. You see, this great Palm Sunday, there was a certain expectation that the people had of Jesus. Uh, the, the, The king that they hailed, they wanted to define what that kingdom would look like. And Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. You know, even in John chapter 12, a, pre, the, the, uh, a few verses before this account. Do you remember the time where, where uh, the lady, in fact, it was Mary, that went in and anointed Jesus' feet? Remember that? And the disciples, specifically Judas, was so upset. Why did you spend all that money on that expensive perfume to, to, to pour it out at the feet of Jesus? Why all of this waste? And Jesus rebuked Judas and said, hey, don't judge her. She's preparing me for my burial. And Judas, you'll read, right out of that, he he left and he began the process of betraying Jesus because he thought, that's not my king. Don't talk about death. No, no, no. I gave up everything so that you would live and so that we would all hold positions of power. You see, Jesus is a king that ushers in a different kingdom. If you're taking notes, I want to give you three simple thoughts about the kingdom that Jesus brings. And we can see it from this story. Number one, write this down. It's a kingdom of humility. Everybody say humility. Humility. Here's what's interesting. A king would never ride into the community on a donkey. Why has he got to be on a donkey? If you're really a king, how many of you would expect a different animal? Okay, you're the king. You can choose whatever animal you want. Maybe like an Arabian horse or a stallion or some steed. Come on, you come in power. You ought to have an animal that represents authority. Why are you coming on a donkey? You see, the donkey represents humility. Humility. This matted, mangy, nasty beast of burden. It was such a common animal of all the animals that Jesus chose. And in fact, the other gospel writers, they talk about how Jesus told his disciples, you go into that community and when you see a donkey that's tied to a post, untie him and bring him to me. And if anyone asks about him, just say, the master has need of him. It's interesting why Jesus would choose a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. You see, the donkey represents humility. And I believe that humility is one of the most attractive of all Christian virtues. Now, we don't shout it down when we preach about humility. But I think humility is the spirit that God wants us to walk in. Humility is not weak. Can I tell you this? I don't know what thoughts come into your mind when you think of humility. Humility is not weak and wimpy. And in all honesty, I just get a little discouraged sometimes of the modern pictures that we have of Jesus. You know, if somebody's making a movie, and there are a lot of movies about Jesus now, it, when they make movies of Jesus, the, the, the picture that we get is some weak, anemic skeleton of a man. He's just so fragile, just so be careful. Don't want a gust of wind to blow by may break him in a couple of pieces. I just wish that some director, that some artist would, would picture Jesus and he would look something like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just, you know, with shoulders like Johnny green and, and abs like David Ray. Just muscles everywhere, just, you know, this Arnold Schwarzenegger, I mean strength. Hey, listen to me now, but believe me later. You know, I can see Jesus, that kind of Jesus telling his disciples, I'll be back. You know, humility. Why, why do we create a Jesus that we just got to apologize for? I'm going to tell you, there is power. Humble people are powerful people. You know why? Because they recognize the source of their strength is not themselves. A humble person knows where the power is coming from. You see, pride gets confused and says, I created this. I did this. This is all about me. Humility understands the source of my strength is not about me. It's about him. That's why we say all the time, if a man will bow before God, he can stand up in front of any man. You don't have to be intimidated by people. You can be standing in strength because a humble spirit recognizes that Jesus is your source. A donkey, I mean, consider it, a donkey of all animals. I mean, the Bible says that he was tied to a post and he had never been ridden before. Can you imagine what that donkey must have felt like when he gets chosen I mean, there's a parade. History tells us that Jerusalem at the time, the population was maybe, I don't know, 200,000 people. But during the time of Passover, the city swelled to 3 million. Consider 3 million people that are just jam-packed into this small community and the streets are lined with people and they're waving palm branches. We'll talk about that in just a second. They laid their clothes down on either side of the streets and they're all cheering. And here this donkey... Carries, I mean, he's he's new to the parade. I can just imagine the donkey being like, Well, well, well. <laughs> hey, 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 what's up? Man, he's going down the street, man, and everybody's cheering and applauding. I mean, I can just imagine him saying, Wait till I tell the boys back at the borough. They're never going to believe this. All this is for me. Now, now we know that's ridiculous, right? But I wonder if God would look down and say, poor little donkey, you don't even realize it's not about you. It's about the one you carry. I wonder if sometimes pride creeps up and we say, hey, hey, here I am. Look at me. And God says, poor little donkey. Poor little donkey. It's not about you. It's about the one that you carry. Come on. We're supposed to carry Jesus into our schools, Jesus into our workplace. We carry Jesus into the neighborhood. We carry Jesus into the marketplace. It's not about you. It's about the one that you carry. You see, pride walks into a room and says, hey, here I am. Humility walks into the room and says, hey, there you are there you are. Hey, how are you? What's going on with you? You see, the kingdom of God is a kingdom that ushers in humility. You know, humility is a slippery thing. Just when you think you have it, you don't. Right? I mean, how do you know when you're really humble? Well, I think I've mastered that humility thing now. Um, My, my, my. Of all, you know, I did a gifts assessment test. And of all of my spiritual gifts, which are many, Humility was at the very top. I think I should just do humility conferences. Coming to a city near you, let me instruct you on how to be as humble as me. You know, it's kind of a slippery thing. You know, just when you think you have it, you don't. I love that Jesus chose a donkey. He didn't choose an Arabian horse or a stallion, but a donkey sits low to the ground. Jesus tells the common people, listen, I'm with you. I'm among you. And they waved palm branches. Did you know the history behind the palm branch? There's a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles where they would use these palm branches during that feast. Tabernacle. Literally in John chapter one, the scripture says the word became flesh and tabernacled among them. In other words, God no longer lives in tents, but he now lives with you. And the donkey says humility. The donkey says, I am in and among you. I I love this. Beware of the dangers of pride. If pride can turn an angel into the devil, what do you think pride can do to you and me? It's a kingdom of humility. I want you to see this. The second thing, number two, not only is it a kingdom of humility, but it's a kingdom of worship. It's a kingdom of worship. Jesus was at the very center of this procession. Hear me. Your life works best when Jesus is at the center of it. Your marriage works best when Jesus is right there in the middle. The dynamics with your children, all of that stuff. You know, your finances. Let me just talk about finances for a second. How many of you, you want your finances to be blessed? Okay, only six of you. None of y'all want a financial blessing? You're like, oh, sign me up for that one. Okay, if you want your money to be blessed, you know that tithe, that first 10%, it sets Jesus at the center. And what I've discovered is that Jesus can do more with 10% than I can do with 90%. If I'm honoring him, I'm putting him right in the middle. See, sometimes we want God to bless something that he's not a part of. Ooh, it's getting quiet up in this church today. You know, God, why am I struggling in my marriage? Well, maybe you've drifted. He used to be the center, but he no longer is. Why am I struggling at work? You know, what's the deal with the challenges in my relationship? Is Jesus at the center? You see, on this day, as Jesus comes riding in on that donkey, he's the very center of the parade. I want you to know, life gets busy. How many of you, your life is busy? You don't know how to squeeze in another thing. And sometimes we do. We have a lot going on. Simplifying things is, is probably a good exercise for all of us. But when you got soccer practice and tournament baseball and cheer and dance, and you got all of these things going on. At one time, maybe Jesus was the center, but he got crowded out with a bunch of stuff. It's easy. It happens. And then you begin to drift. I want you to know, moms and dads, hear me. If you don't prioritize church When your kids are small, they won't prioritize church when they leave your house. It's just the nature of how things happen. When Jesus is at the center, there was great worship. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All praise be to God. Whatever he's the center of, that's what gets blessed. I mean, consider this, the parade that day. And I love a good parade. But if you're going to go to the parade, it will require you to adjust your schedule. Hey, what time is that parade getting started? you got to adjust your schedule. You're also going to have to get in position. Oh, I want to make sure I see it. I've got I to get in the right spot. So my schedule has changed. I'm positioning myself, and I'm setting my focus. Jesus was the very center of this parade. It wasn't the donkey. It was the presence of Jesus himself. They're celebrating him. In fact, Luke's gospel says it this way, and I I, I love this portion of it. Luke 19, 39, the Bible says this, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. In other words, they were scolding him. Don't you dare let them say, praise be to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How dare they say that? You know what Jesus responded by saying? He said in verse 40, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, then the stones along the road will burst into cheers. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, my presence here demands praise. And if they don't give it to me, then I'm going to use a rock, an inanimate, lifeless object to give me the praise that I am due. How many of you, you don't want no rock crying out for you? I'm not going to let some stone give praise in my place. It's my job. It's my responsibility. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to use what's inside of me and I'm going to return it to him. I just believe that if we'll give God praise, now watch how this works. Watch how this works to praise God after the fact, you know what that is? That's gratitude. You know, when, when, when you're praying for something, believing for something, and, and, and God shows up, and man, he, whatever dream or need or, or challenge, when he answers that, and you give him praise afterwards, that's gratitude. But you know what happens when you praise God before? It's called faith to praise Him before you see the answer, before the miracle comes, before you're delivered. They're saying, save us now, save us now. And maybe it doesn't come right now. But if you'll give God praise in advance, that's called faith. And what I know about faith is... Faith pleases God. In fact, faith is what moves God. God, he he says, it's impossible to please me unless you exercise faith. I just pray that as a church, we'll praise him when we feel like it. We'll praise him when we don't. We'll praise him after he's answered. And we'll praise him when we're still waiting on the answer to come our way. It's a kingdom of humility. It's a kingdom of worship. I don't want any stone to cry out for me. Ain't going to happen. Not on my watch. Now, here's a, here's a nuance of this, and I think this is really interesting. The very day that Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, it's four days before the feast of Passover, and that's the day that families would select a lamb, okay? They call it the, the Paschal lamb. They would choose a lamb from their flock, the very best And they would bring that lamb into their home and begin to care for that lamb in preparation of Passover because that lamb would be sacrificed. This day, Palm Sunday was the very day they would bring those lambs into their home. Guess what? They didn't even know that the Lamb of God was riding into Jerusalem. He would be that lamb, the lamb that was slain for the foundations of the world. Uh, And it's interesting too, that when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem, guess what gate he came in? The sheep gate. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. And here, the answer didn't come the way they expected. It was something a little different. Not quite sure about the timing of all of this, but here's their king. So it's a, it's a kingdom of humility. It's a kingdom of worship. Finally, number three, it's a kingdom of victory. Everybody say victory. Victory. <laughs> they were shouting, save us now. Hosanna, save us now. You know, a part of victory is timing. They wanted deliverance that day. Little did they know that, that the next week, Jesus would be offered up and would not just save them in a political sense, but save them in an eternal sense. Save us. Now, timing is a big deal. Some of you are believing for victory in a situation in your life, and it's frustrating because you don't see it yet. I want you to know victory is coming. The king is coming. And, 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 And don't get frustrated. Don't get discouraged if you'll just set Jesus at the center and praise him in advance, the victory that you're believing God for. Now, here's what's interesting. You can't have victory without a fight. Think about it. The very word victory implies the context of struggle. How many of you got that struggle down already? You got that part taken care of. Okay, Lord, I got struggle covered over here. Guess what? That's what we bring to the equation. We bring struggle. Guess what God brings to the equation? Victory. You know, when I was in the eighth grade, I signed up to play football because all my friends were playing football. So they signed up. Hey, Mike, you need to sign up. We're going to play football. You know what? I played football in the eighth grade, and something happened. I got a revelation. Football hurts. I got tackled one time, and I thought, man, I'm in the wrong sport. Get me out of here, man. I need basketball. Give me baseball. Give me something that's less contact. You know, if you're going to sign up to play football, it's a collision sport. It's violent. You're going to get hit. Can I tell you, when you sign up for this thing called Christianity, when you say, Lord, I love you, I put my faith and trust in you, guess what? There's going to be battles. You're in for a fight. Things are going to come against you. It's part of the experience. Some of you say, man, I know all about struggle. Jesus says, if you'll just hold on, victory is on its way. I'm coming. I'm coming in a way that you may not understand, but I'm coming. Jesus, he set his face toward Jerusalem because he knew what he had to do. He was bringing victory. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, when we were utterly helpless, Jesus came at just the right time. Everybody say time. time. He came at the right time. And what did he do? He died for us sinners. You see, listen, victory is defined by the victor. And what do we do? We're submitted to him. You know, the opposite of victory in the world is surrender. They say, if you surrender, you have embraced defeat. You have forfeited victory and surrender is the opposite. But in the kingdom, the only way to get victory is through surrender. And I just believe, I think there's a word for some people here today. If you'll surrender, the circumstances don't make sense. But if you'll surrender to the king, He'll bring victory into your life. Do you believe that? I'm going to give you this final thought. I'll ask the band to come. I want to pray over you. Not only is it a kingdom of humility, it's it's a kingdom of worship. It's a kingdom of victory. But finally, it's a kingdom that will shake the world. It's a kingdom that shakes the world. Matthew's gospel said it this way in Matthew 21. He said the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the entire city was in an uproar. You know, that word in the Greek, uproar, is the same word that we get for earthquake. There was a shaking, there was a shifting, something was happening. The, 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 the natural was being met by the supernatural, the, the kingdom of, of earth was being met by the kingdom of heaven. And there was a seismic shift in Jerusalem that day. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom that shakes the world because it's a kingdom that's not of this world. The kingdom of God can't be shaken. It it, it can't be contained. There's not a container that can hold it. And what I love about that is this, because the Lord came in and stirred some things up in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, turn that city on edge and things were shaken maybe some of you your world has been shook up but you know what's interesting what remains is unshakable watch this don't miss this everything that can be shaken will but what remains is unshakable are you with me The kingdom of God comes into the reality of our world and shakes some things up. Maybe some of you, there's some things in your life that needed to kind of fall away. Maybe you were carrying and holding on to some stuff and then that's not kingdom purpose. And God's saying, that doesn't need to be in your life. I'm trying to eliminate some things. I'm trying to elevate some things. But what remains is unshakable. And that's the power of God's kingdom. Jesus rode into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. They hailed him as king, but he came on a donkey. They expected some new form of government. He doesn't ride to the palace or to, the, to Herod's court. He rides into the temple and he begins to speak and the people don't even realize what's going on. And a few days later, this same Jesus would die on a cross and they thought it was over, it was done. This whole movement, the Pharisees, they had to kill him because they thought, you know what, we can't, there's no way we can stop this until we kill him. And guess what happened? Killed Jesus, But three days later, he rose. And, And watch this, watch this. He came to earth in the form of a baby, the innocence and vulnerability of a child. He rides in Jerusalem, on a donkey but there's coming a day when our king is coming back and he's coming back on a white horse with fire in his eyes with a sword in his hand and he's not taking sides he's taken over and everything that was wrong jesus will make right everything we didn't understand and all of a sudden it's going to make sense because our citizenship is not here on earth we are citizens of another realm and jesus is coming back king of kings and lord of lords do you know what you do in the presence of a king you surrender you just you just bow your knee in the bowing recognizes that there's an authority in the room that is greater than I want you to know, in this church, why do we bow our knee? Why do we lift our hands? Because we're recognizing that there's an authority that's greater than ourselves. I just believe that some people need to walk in that. Some people need to receive that today. Jesus, our King. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.